Thank God it's free range. You are listening to Free Range Radio Friday with your host, Michael Elves. Pour yourself a beverage and turn up the volume because here on 101.5 UMFM, the weekend starts now. UMFM, this is Thank God It's Free Range, the Friday edition of Free Range Radio. I'm Michael Elves, kicking things off for us tonight, Bicycle Face with a new song, or a recent song, called The Fainting of the Nearby Supergiant Beetlejuice. Playing that one because they are on the bill with French Class, who I have a live session with coming up right now. Coming up later, we have the last 
part of APTN News' Our Relatives series and some more great music. But for now, this is French Class live at UMFM. Honey bee. Don't care if you don't believe me. I'll be rich someday. You will see millions of dollars up in my bank account. I could have shared with you half of the amount. You were a honeybee up in the sky. I'm a flower. Reaching up so high We were in love But you visited others I saw your selfie with that pretty flower I am rich in love and friendship Somehow I hope you're happy with her now song is called Boy Goes Golf. Mm-hmm. 
are you? Black lips, fish, man, coffin shapers, yeah, the cursors, black pants, hey, I like you. performance from French class. We're playing Winterruption next weekend. Megumi and Tiana in the studio here to talk as well. Thanks for coming in and playing some songs. Thank you so much Thank for having you us. Thank for having us. So uh, you're playing like, uh, win- so I, I mean, if you're in Winnipeg, you maybe don't know Winterruption is like kind of a Western Canada thing. There's like multiple cities and, y- and you're playing all of them. Yeah. How, like, how do you prepare for like kind of a whirlwind kind of performance schedule like this right because it's like multiple shows in a very compact period of time it's uh three shows in three days in three different cities yeah yeah (laughs) yes uh how do we prepare 
I don't know. This is our first time <laughs> doing this. <laughs> so yeah, I'm borrowing carry on bag from my friend. <laughs> so we're, we're not going to check any luggage, hopefully, right. so that we can just kind of run around. Um, we're driving from Calgary to Edmonton. Okay. So we rented a car. So I don't know. Tiana's friend in Calgary comes with us. Yeah. <laughs> as an, was that? Groupie? A groupie. She said she wants groupie? to be our groupie. Okay. Well, there you go. You've already lined up a groupie. <laughs> yeah. Was, so we're good on that. Yeah. yeah. We're good for that. Um, in, in terms of like a set then, like, are you anticipating you're going to kind of play the same show three times or do you try to like change it up depending on the city? Probably be a similar show every time. Yeah. We, we'll throw some different songs for some hardcore fans who wanted to come. Calgary and Edmonton both. Yeah. There must be someone like that. Yeah, and I mean, people in, in Edmonton and Calgary don't really know our songs probably as much as people in Winnipeg do, so we might do more of our like classic um, songs for those two shows and then throw some other ones for the Winnipeg show, maybe. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see how we feel. Yeah, now obviously more Winnipeggers have had a chance to see you than any like Absolutely. Calgarians or Edmontonians. I think that's the right way to yeah. announce this. Um, when it comes to like a Winnipeg show then, like, do you have some sense of like, like people are more in t- in tune with what French class is already because of that, or do you treat each show as kind of like people here could be new to us? Yeah, um, I think it depends. Some it depends on who we're playing with. I think because okay. so, some crowds you know that they already know you. Like <laughs> especially if I'm playing a show with a couple, if we play with a couple of our friends and we know that everybody's kind of most a little bit aware of us but i don't know if we change it up that much what do you think mugumi the set yeah like when if do we play sets like like someone new is watching us every time or we know these people have heard us so we do something different i usually try to throw one new song per gig so everyone's like oh i didn't know that song i've yeah that's Surprise. So does that mean you're constantly writing then if you can always throw a new song into the mix? Yeah, I try to write. Megumi's for, constantly for beat set, making. But recently not. So yeah. We've been bad at it recently, but when we first started out, well, when I first joined the band, we wrote five songs in like a month. <laughs> like, oh, we like, have a show this day. Let's write, write it. And then Honey Bee, just like, oh, the day before. Or something, yeah, we we wrote, yeah, and Fire too, the day before one of our gigs we wrote. Yeah. Um, and dress code we wrote for a friend's birthday party that we were singing at. Like we, mm. we usually write a song for whatever gig, but we've kind of been slacking on that lately. <laughs> yeah, we gotta write a new song. Yeah, we do. <laughs> so process-wise, when it comes to writing a new song, like obviously it sounds like you almost like write under a deadline. Like, oh, we knew we've got this gig, and let's let's do a new song. But it, like in terms of building a song up from, mm. like, is it? Like a melody? Is it like a lyrical line? What are you guys doing? I usually build the beats first Uh and then uh, lyrics we work together. Usually Megumi will write beats and then tell me, hey, I want this song to be, for for example, for Honeybee, she said, I want this song to be about a honeybee and a million dollars. And I was like, perfect, we can work on that. And so we made a song about sing millions. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so you just wanted that phrase. She wanted those two phrases in it, and so we made a song around those two phrases. So when you're making those beats, then Megumi, are you hearing like specific words that marry well with those beats? Is that kind of like part of it? 
words. Mm, no, when I build beats, just build from baseline and then make it like a two minutes or three minutes long for like basic popular songs. What does <laughs> it make? Does it? Popular. Yeah. Um, do you feel like when you're writing those songs or those beats, why did you pick Honeybee and Million Dollars? Like, did that song that you wrote just seem like it should have those words in it? That was a separate idea. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> yeah, I got that song right before you come practice. I was like a bass line just falling. And then, like, then I had like, oh, I wanted to say millions of dollars. So... Yeah, so like conceptually, you you have like almost like two paths, right? You've got like like the beat path, and then like the like lyrical mad libs. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. these are things I want to incorporate. Mm -hmm. Yeah, ba ba basically working on love songs. Right? <laughs> Most of our songs. Well, yeah, trying to write the love songs. <laughs> that they're all centered around like a love song concept. Yeah, like generally. Hitting on each other at the dance floor, like asking f like friends or someone interesting out and like, oh, like, I like you, that kind of right. songs. Does that come from like what you listen to? Like, are is that kind of like what you gravitate to as a listener? Uh, just the idea. Like, I don't know what to sing. So, right. Like, what do you sing? Oh, love song. Just it's that. just that's what, that's what resonates is. with you. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. I, I don't, I would I say that know. some of our songs aren't love songs, but, yeah. but um, I yeah, think we just write Honey songs. Like, seems like a thwarted, that's like a thwarted love. Yeah, that's like, oh, you cheated on me. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah I, I think we kind of write, I don't know how we write, honestly. Megumi makes it pretty easy with the beats, and then it, the, the melody just kind of flows from there and the lyrics. Um, and every song, I think, is a little different, but I do think some of them stem back to love, if that makes sense, like whether it's unrequited or whatever. <laughs> Diana, you mentioned earlier, like when you joined the group, like I've seen French class in a few different iterations, and yeah. I'm curious about like kind of the like chronology of like mm. how you've landed on kind of what French class is now. Megumi started French class in what year, Megumi? 2018? 2019. 2018 started writing, 2019 started playing shows. Yeah, so it was Mag just Megumi, and then Gabby Osejo um, joined kind of, right? Yeah, Gabby, and we were a duo, but I play solo sometimes because Gabby couldn't come or something. Yeah, well, Gabby lives part-time in Argentina and right. here, so uh, that makes it difficult. Um, and then... I think Gabby couldn't make it one time and Megumi asked her to play and she said, I'm, I'm Gabby's cousin. So <laughs> Gabby was like, ask my cousin and there, that's how this started. Okay. Um, but we also, in between that, Megumi had Kevin Waters and Lindsay, Lindsay Wogar, um join the band yeah, because I think uh, <laughs> like maybe Icelandic Fest. I saw like like a four piece. Version. That was yeah. That, that was, was Ashley. That was Ashley. Okay. Yeah. Yes. But usually it is it's Lindsay. Usually. Yeah. Um, they're like they those band members jump on to stage at the Rainbow Trout twenty 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 or I yeah, I think twenty twenty. They're like we'll play and then they jump on and then okay, 
So they joined. <laughs> and it's not like they've necessarily left. It's just that like no. at different points, different people are involved. Kind you're of gonna thing. you're gonna see them again this summer probably. We do a lot of summer shows with them. Like they'll just kind of join when they want to and or when we ask them to. Yeah, Lindsay really and Kevin wa- wanted to come to West End this um, next summer. Oh, they want to come. Well, we should so you, you may yeah maybe we you, may you might you might see them yeah. yeah you might see a four piece band <laughs> right on uh so speaking of that it's an afternoon it's a matinee show mm-hmm. uh at 2 p.m at the west end cultural center helping close out interruption uh octopus tea and bicycle face opening now was that the festival putting the gig together or did you have a hand in kind of picking the openers or so i wanted to play with bicycle face so we started talking about this since last September or something, and then I contacted West End Cultural Center about this idea. Then they suggested to put us in uh, interruption. Bicycle face is like the uh, Octopus Tea. They're like 16 or something, teenagers. So it's a Métis show. And then uh, yeah. Octopus Tea is Octopus young people. Young, yeah. Oh, that's so nice. Young. I didn't know that. Yeah, I didn't have a lot of uh, familiarity with no, that. No, I had no Bicycle idea. Face, yeah. of course, I've seen. Yes. Um, yeah, no, so that's next Sunday, part of Winterruption. Um, thank you guys for coming in and playing for us and, and for sitting down and talking. And I, I guess safe travels thank on you. whirlwind <laughs> yeah, f- uh, trip. Keep uh, us in your thoughts and hope that we get it's to everywhere wild on, on time. adventure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Thanks again for coming in. Thank you for thank having you. us. Thank you. Peach mango. Peach mango.
than a hundred people died while living on the streets of Winnipeg in 2023, mostly due to poisoned drugs. But the city's tight-knit homeless community will make sure they're not forgotten. I'm Kathleen Martins, and this is Our Relatives. Warning, this episode deals with disturbing subject matter. Why are those speakers? 
Carmen Peachy, Dave Brown. The sun is rising over Main Street and the scent of smudge lingers in the air as the homeless people who died in 2023 are remembered here in Hope Alley. I've been doing this for five years. The yearly memorial to remember all our relatives who passed. The narrow concrete laneway off Main Street isn't much to look at. Most people wouldn't even know it is here. There are a few wooden benches and some flower boxes, but it's where Jacob Kaufman fights back tears as he reads out the names of 36 people known to have died in 2023. And everyone else that we missed, and everyone else who is laying in landfills across North America. Jacob is referring to four Indigenous women whose homicides dominated the headlines in 2023. Their remains were either retrieved from or are believed to be in Winnipeg area garbage dumps. At least two of the women were homeless when they were killed. You said this year has been particularly tough. Yes. Can you explain why? I grew up on the streets across North America. Um, this is my family. These are my mothers, fathers, brothers, sisters, aunties, uncles, and it gets hard. Yeah, I'm sorry, I gotta walk away. I'm about to have a moment. Does anybody else have names that they wanna talk about? Everyone here agrees it has been a punishing year on the streets. And the real death toll is probably three or four times higher. I'd like to share a story about a brother that I uh, um, was staying in the tents around Thunderbird House. Over the last couple of weeks, I'd make him coffee. I brought him a cooler, like a thing from home. And he asked me if he could, had any medicine for him. And I said, yeah. So he came in a Thunderbird House with me. and. I gave him cedar, sage, and when I gave him sweetgrass, he started crying. And then I gave him a smudge bowl, and he was having a really hard time. And, and he said to me, he looked at me, he goes, it's my time, it's time, it's time now. And I didn't know what that meant until yesterday he was found deceased in an abandoned van in front of Salvation Army. His name was Joe Turcott. Jamil Mahmood is the executive director of Main Street Project, the homeless shelter across the street from Hope Alley. This year has been the hardest that I can remember in terms of the amount of people we've lost in the communities. Between, you know, the poverty and, and everything and then the toxic drug crisis, we're seeing more death than we've ever seen, so... So this list has 36 names on it. That is the highest? That you can remember? That I remember at this event, yeah, but I, it's definitely higher than that as well. We know we're not capturing everybody, right? Don't be shy. If you, if you want to say something about them, tell a story about these individuals that meant something to you, please feel, feel free to do that. Al Weeb was once homeless. He says he was too proud to go to a shelter, so he lived in a derelict car. I put up that little plaque up there that honors the people that have passed away. It's just so vital that we that we do this, you know, just uh, have people remember people and other statistics. The annual ceremony is difficult for those gathered here. Many are homeless themselves, 
or work in some of the shelters and agencies that help the homeless. They knew the people who died. This is not the whole list. It, it's probably uh, three times the size of this, if not four times. Uh, absolutely, this is just, this. we got this list from the shelters, that's it. And they, we put up uh, posters in shelters and asked them to put names down that people know, and this is where this list comes from. And, but there, this is just probably roughly around 120, 30 to 150 people um, that have passed away this year because of fentanyl. And that's the big killer. One of my good friends, Kathy Moose, passed away. She was always in my room helping me. She was a good person. I miss her. And I hope I'll be with her someday when it's time for me to go to heaven. And I just wish her have fun in heaven. The logs are making a popping sound in the sacred fire as the free coffee and stew help people warm their hands before they leave to get on with their day. Al introduced the ceremony to Winnipeg in 2017 after attending one in London, Ontario. He says he takes the time to remember those who died because he survived. Put myself down in the back of a 64 Mercedes. I used to drive a Mercedes, so why not a Mercedes, right? <laughs> and so that's where I stayed for 14 and a half months. And uh, I, I thoroughly expected to die of hyperthermia within a day or two, because it was minus 30, minus 40. Didn't happen. You know, I, I wake up with a blanket of snow on me like this much because the sunroof leaked at the front window. There's an open front window and all the snow would come in and cover me up. And somehow I survived. Sure, I got frostbite on my nose, my fingers, my toes and everything. But it, I wasn't supposed to be alive, but it was. There you go. The 2022 street census officially counted 1,250 people who said they were homeless in Winnipeg but Jamil agrees that real number is much higher. You know, we have something like 700 shelter beds in the city and they're full every, almost every night. So, um, you know, and then that's only what we know. There's, you know, Donald County people are hidden homeless and, and couch surfing. I would say it's probably 3,000 to 5,000 people. The census describes hidden homelessness and couch surfing as the same thing people staying temporarily with friends or family or even strangers because they have nowhere else to go. This includes people in hotels who don't have permanent homes. The census says researchers conservatively estimate that for every person experiencing absolute homelessness, Another three are in hidden homelessness. If this ratio held true for Winnipeg, the census would have undercounted the hidden homeless population by at least 4,000 people. It, it, it's precarious out there, right? There's so many variables, you know, so many... It, it, every day out there is traumatic, right? Every day can end, right, in a, in a bad way. So, yeah, yeah, I could have been on that list many times. 
Al lost his job when he was 55 years old. He was making six figures selling advertising. He says he now applies his networking and sales abilities to improving the way homeless people are treated. I have a distinct advantage over so many people in the sector. I've seen the world from here and not caring about homelessness or even giving it a second thought, right? And I can understand both areas. I understand why people don't want these folks in their, in their areas or, you know, in their public parks and stuff like that. I understand that. But I also have that deep empathy for the folks here, right? And uh, I know how, how easy it is to die on the streets. Back in Hope Alley, the sacred fire is reduced to embers now, and the coffee and stew are long gone. Jamil says to end homelessness, we need to understand it. Uh, I just think, you know, the solutions are here in the community, and uh, we have them, and uh, if the community is resourced properly and uh, the work is led by people who are experiencing homelessness and have lived it, then uh, we can solve these problems. They're not unsolvable, but it takes a lot of political will and it takes investment. And until we get the investment in housing, we're not going to see a change in, in community. That's an important point. Homeless shelters are supposed to be for emergencies, but they've become housing. Housing for people with mental health issues. Housing for people with addictions housing for people fleeing relationships, housing for people seeking safety, housing for people whose First Nation doesn't have enough housing, and housing for people who can't afford housing. Shelters aren't solutions, they're band-aids, right? Yeah. And, and uh, you know, we don't want to see another shelter pop up, we'd rather see 10 housing blocks pop up. Again, it's right there in the street census of 2022. Winnipeg had fewer than 100 units for rent in the $750 price range across the entire city in 2021. Jamil says vulnerable people need housing with supports, also known as wraparound services. Shelters are catch-all for all, everything, right? Like, we have folks in psychosis, we have folks using substances, right? Like, so it's not a place where you can do a lot of work to help folks move forward in a good way because of the amount of people we see and the kind of level of crisis. So the, the whole sector kind of wants to see us move towards uh, get the housing up, get people into housing, give them the supports they need, and then we can start changing how we do shelters and, and hopefully convert all the shelters into transitional housing you know, down the road. They'll take some time, but that's uh, the hope, right? And that's how we work. We, we want to work ourselves out of being a shelter and, and being a, a really good housing provider at the end of the day, but uh, we're not there yet, right? When Jacob Kaufman handed me that list with the names of 36 people who died while homeless in 2023, he whispered, do something about it. So I made this episode to mark in the world book that they were here. Oscar Sumner, Jonah Young, Catherine Moose, Conrad Petit, Arthur Lee, Natasha Gravelin, Fallon Johnson, Doug Balecki, Lacey Kershin, Henry P, Nicole M, Michael G, Ashley Hager, Raymond Breeland, 
Kelly Mubalajan, Morgan Harris, Greg Harris, Barry M, Derek Mundor, June Johnson, Doug Baylor, Harris Jr., Reggie Jamardi, Kendra, Raymond Breeland, Austin Mowat, Bruce Ray, Henry Linklater, James Briere, Friday, Byron Murdoch, Ivan Clayton John Marsden, Trish Matt, Twyla Stevens, Carmen Peachy, and Dave Braun. I'm Kathleen Martins. Goodbye for now. Our Relatives, written and reported by Kathleen Martins. Recorded and edited by Jesse Andrushko. Produced by Mark Blackburn. Original theme music by Backyard Rink. Cover art by Shania Murdoch and Alicia Dawn. Hello, I'm Rick Harp, host of APTN News Brief, a daily podcast version of the nightly broadcast of APTN National News. Available on all major podcast platforms, APTN News Brief is your quick way to hear the headlines every weekday morning. Learn more at aptnnews.ca slash podcasts.
Back here on Thank God It's Free Range, the Friday edition of Free Range Radio. And uh, we just heard Ottawa singer Adeline with a new single called True Love Waits. And on the topic of love, we got a new single from Jess Ray Ayer, a local artist who uh, is set to release her full length uh, a little later this winter, uh, but dropped the new single Living in Love as we head towards Valentine's Day, uh, thankfully letting us play it ahead of time. Jess Ray Ayer here on 101.5 UMFM. Living in love 
Back here on Thank God It's Free Range, the Friday edition of Free Range Radio. Right before the break, Lana Winterhalt with Static off of Act One. She's releasing a couple of EPs in advance of a full length this spring. Fingers crossed we will get Lana in to uh, talk about the record before it drops. Uh, before that, Claude Pelgaig with Joseph Michelin and Samuel Gougou with Dans Ma Voiture from Sieste sur l'Oreille Droite. Uh, a new EP. Uh, love Claude Pelgaig. Uh, from Halifax, we've got Avery Dakin coming up next. This is a, my favorite song off of her new album called Bloom. It's Don't Come Home. And then right after that, Sunny War, another Winterruption performer on the phone talking about her new record, Anarchist Gospel. Keep it locked here on 101.5 UMFM. Just so you know, I don't want you no more. Out the door, not for hours. Into her arms Well aren't you charming So disarming This web that you're spinning I caught wind of it Did you forget that I'd Hear from our friends You're not so innocent You just don't care
record is called Anarchist Gospel, bringing those songs and more to Winterruption, Winnipeg on the 27th. Sonny War joins me on the phone. How's it going? It's going good. Good to hear. So, uh, I mean, the album's been out for, for a while now. Like, at a certain point playing these songs, like, do, do you hit a period where you're kind of like, man, I want to dip back into some of the older stuff? Or, or like, are you still kind of loving these songs? Um, I've never really played more than four or five of them live. Oh, really? Like, I, cause I have, because I have so many other albums that I, I always play stuff from everything mm. for a set. So it's not like you're out touring this record alone. You're, you're always building your set around all your songs? Yeah, I just played, like, four or five songs from every album. Okay. And is that, like... Just with an expectation of, of the crowd isn't always necessarily like completely familiar with the new record, but you know has a history with you, or what? what or is it just kind of keep it interesting for yourself? Oh, uh, I think I mean at least in like the U.S., like I've I've had people come and see me before at Artist Gospel. Mm-hmm. Like there's a lot of people like my first record, sure and enough. then they sometimes they request that I play from the first album so in terms of then building a set that like 
is four or five songs from from each thing like do you think about how like all your songs fit together as a body of work when you're approaching that or are you just playing like kind of the thing that interests you at a certain point or what what kind of goes through your head as you're building a set i just go i mean i kind of based it off of just like streams really so like there's like i kind of choose the most popular songs from each record oh so you're someone who kind of keeps on, an eye on the like the the Spotify streams to kind of see what's resonating with folks. Yeah, because I because I used to just kind of play what I enjoyed the most, and then it turned out like people were telling me after shows like, "Well, you didn't play Lucid Lucy, or you didn't play If It Wasn't Broken." So then I was like, "Oh, I guess some people like I had to." Which to me, they're not bad songs. They're just to me, they're kind of like ballads, and they're kind of like not fun to play mm. but then that kept happening where people were asking me why i didn't play lucid lucy so then i tried to figure out like what is the stuff that i should make sure i play so the the, the ballads like kind of like the the lower energy ones people want to hear but you weren't thinking they necessarily wanted to hear in a live setting well i wasn't i didn't realize that people knew my songs okay so that. So I had to change how I was thinking about a set, I guess. In looking at the uh, the streams and stuff, then like, ha- have there been songs that have resonated with fans that like surprised you? Like you're like, this is this is the one that everyone digs. Um, I guess I mean, not really. I guess because I could see liking those songs like recording wise. I could see liking it as a recording because I feel like a lot of people got into some of my older stuff from listening to folk playlist. Mm. So I feel like if that's what you were listening to, I could see why you would like that. Like that's not like, there's a lot of stuff like that. I, I wouldn't really go see live, but I, if I was in that kind of mood at home, I could see liking that. Does what you listen to impact what you make? Like, are, are you conscious of like, Oh, I was listening to this artist and that's how this song kind of came about sounding that way. Or do you try to kind of like separate yourself from other people's work when it comes time to like writing your own stuff? I don't, I don't play anything like what I listen to. So I don't, I listen to mostly like punk music and like eighties, hardcore punk. So I definitely don't play that. Sure, <laughs> yeah. Well, I was going to say, cause I'd read an interview you did, uh, in Jacksonville saying, you know, the songwriting influences are Elliot Smith, Nina Simone, and, and Bill Withers, and none of those are hardcore acts. Oh, yeah, I listen to that, too. I guess, like, I mean, like, it's because my I have a record collection. I have a lot of jazz. I have a lot of 80s hardcore. I have a lot of hip-hop. I have some reggae. I have, for a minute, I was getting really into Brazilian music. So I can't really, the only thing that's been consistent in my whole, like, since I was like 13 is that I listen to a lot of punk music. Mm. But I also, just as a guitar player and just as, I also just like music too. Right. But I'm also getting into electronic stuff. I'm doing, I'm making a lot of beats. Like, I, I like more than just, like, folk music. But I also really love folk music, I guess. But that's not something I consistently listen to because it's like I didn't start really like I started wanting to write songs when I was listening to Elliot Smith but I didn't 
I haven't, like, been a huge, like, oh, I listen to Elliot Smith all the time since, like, over 10 years ago. Mm. So that is an influence to me, but I kind of get, I get into things for a couple months, and then I get into something else. So kind of like YouTube rabbit holes or going down, like, playlists and stuff like that? No, I mean, I'll just, if I buy, I'll buy an album. Okay. And just, like, sit on that album for a while? Yeah, but I usually get a couple records at a time. And then I also also listen to stuff online, but then I also just see stuff live. I don't really, I feel like I'm more like a DJ as far as how I look at music. I don't really, like, I just like all, I like different stuff from everything. Mm -hmm. But I'm more like the majority of what I really like to listen to every day is like thrash. But I think it's just because there's stuff that I'm interested in just as a guitar player. And then there's stuff that culturally speaks to me more. Mm -hmm. And I feel like those can be separate sometimes. Like I'm not really like musically impressed by a lot of punk music. That's more, I just like the approach and I like the message and that's, that's more about energy. And then there's stuff like, when I'm listening to Nina Simone, I just feel like that's just like, that's just high art, you know? Mm-hmm. And I kind of think of it like almost like movies or like even just like visual art. Like I can be really into comic books, but then I can also appreciate like oil paintings, but it doesn't mean that I want to look at oil paintings all the time. Right. Like that's kind of how I feel about music. It's easier for me to just listen to Bad Brains than it is to be like, I got to listen to this really, like, I got to listen to, like, Nick Drake. Like, Nick Drake, I love, but I'm not going to feel like that every day. Right. Is it the, the catharsis of, like, thrash that you you respond to? Like, like either, like, the emotional or, like, the, the, the sonic catharsis? Or do you, can you pinpoint kind of what it is about, you know, that hardcore that that resonates with you? I think it's, like... Probably, like, because when I, st- I started playing guitar when I was seven, and then I didn't get an electric guitar till I was 12. And then that was, I think it's just, I really like electric guitar. And then I really like obnoxious rock music. That's what I was, like, trying to play, like, a lot of, like, classic rock stuff when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. So then I didn't really hear Bad Brains till I was, like, 13 or 14, and I felt like that was like mixing like the kind of guitar I was interested in, but then it was mixing it with like messages that were like Rock for Light. That album was really important to me when I was like 13. And then it's like, it, it's just the perfect combination of like, I like this kind of guitar. I also like really fast drumming. Like there's a lot of metal I listen to only because I like blast beats and I like I'm like fascinated by people playing drums as fast as they can. Mm-hmm. But then it's like bands like NBC, like I can get really cool guitarists and fast drumming and a song that's like really political, but like sweet, like an anti-fascist song that also has fast drums and has cool guitar or a song that's anti-police that all, it's like a combination of like everything that I want. It's hitting you in the you know, heart and the head. Yeah, it's just perfect. Right. <laughs> the that Jacksonville interview you mentioned at the time, you know, what kicks off a 
process of writing a song for you is conflict. Uh, that like, you know, if you can't talk about it with someone, this is how you kind of process things. Is that still the case that like you write from a place of, you know, like this is my only avenue of expression? Yeah, I don't, I don't really talk to anyone about anything really at all. So, or not like, I mean, I have friends, but we don't really talk about, I guess we don't really talk about like our deep problems or anything because that's not a lot. That's not very fun. Right. So I guess I just use music as like a way to just do my own therapy session for myself. Did that did that start in, in your teenage years? Like when you were, you know, like first got an electric guitar that like that's, I mean, because very often you have some, some teenagers write, write in a diary if they can't talk it out with someone else or, you know, f- find some outlet. It sounds like maybe this is how you found the outlet for, for those like, feelings and expressions. Yeah, I have my first band when I was like 13. And we had we had a lot of songs already, I think, but like, yeah, they were pretty, I guess they, it was a lot of, they're pretty emotional songs. The most recent record, Anarchist Gospel, do you feel like all the songs are kind of unified or do you think it's just kind of a collection of what you had at the moment when you, you know, hit the studio? Like, what's your thought about this record as a whole? Um, I think it was just a collection, but it ended up being unified sonically, I guess, by like just kind of having the choir singing but it, but it was kind of just a random collection of songs. Did you always envision the choir involvement? Like, like, could you hear that when you were writing those songs initially, or was that something that kind of you figured out as you were writing them? Well, the choir, I had the choir stuff on my demos. Like, I made demos of all the songs um, at home by myself, and I was doing a lot of layered vocals and, like, trying to make harmonies. So I kind of, I didn't, I didn't really know that it was going to be like that, but I did definitely want like harmonies on the choruses. And I think that was kind of the the idea, but I didn't know it was going to be like that really right. until hearing them. Well, before I let you go, I want to get you to pick a track off Anarchist Gospel that we can play for listeners. And if you have a reason why you're picking it or a, an anecdote about it, I'd love to hear that. Um, I would pick Hole because Hole is, I think, my favorite one on there. So you do have favorites. That's uh, I, I'm always curious if an artist has a favorite. Um, so January 27th, playing at the West End Cultural Nerds as part of Winterruption. Sunny War, thanks very much for taking some time out of your, your schedule and uh, safe travels. Thank you. Don't you work yourself, yourself to death Take a break from the man-made hell To catch your breath Today, be the last you know Happy's how you wanna go No pain could ever buy your soul You're the 
Lying now 
If you've watched the Alexander Payne movie, The Holdovers with Paul Giamatti, you've heard that song used really wonderfully in the soundtrack. That was Labi Sifre with Crying, Laughing, Loving, Lying. Very much a uh, Paul Simon vibe to that track. Uh, just had to play it because I just I really I watched the holdovers over the winter break and I uh, I loved it. Uh, we are going to leave you with one last track before we hand things over to After Eight Radio from German artist Maria Basel off of her album Bloom. Two different albums called Bloom in this set. Uh, this is Broken, my favorite track off of Bloom. Keep it locked here for After Eight Radio. Coming up next. You don't give me permission, no. Don't ever blame me for it Should I never follow you Always thought that I could hold up my borders You convinced me that I was small Though I was the one who carried you Don't you dare to give me the Tell me, should we Broken, so are you. 